So uh, we're, we're continuing this series called Follow. And uh, follow is, how do I explain what, what follow is? Follow is just following Jesus. I mean, that's as simple as I can explain it. It's going after Jesus. And that means two things, right? That means going after him, chasing after him, running toward him. But that also means you're going after Jesus. Where Jesus walked, we're walking. How Jesus lived, we're living. We're taking the same paths. We're taking the same directions that he did while also pursuing him, making him the center of our lives. So that's sort of the goal of of what we're hoping to get across here. And my hope is that that this series is starting to, to whet your appetite, grab your attention just a little bit if you've been here at all, that, that this is sort of getting, like catching an idea in your head that following Jesus, following after him, being a church that is composed and comprised of followers of Jesus who seek to make followers of Jesus, that this is kind of important to what we should be doing as a church. Because it is my prayer and my hope that this ultimately becomes integral to our DNA. That inside and outside, it's the most natural thing in the world that we would be followers of Jesus that make followers of Jesus. And everything else, everything else that we could possibly seek to do is just going to be peripheral secondary, supplemental, helpful, but, but to the sides of that singular focus moving forward. Time and again, time and again, Jesus does not call people to a higher moral ground. He does not call people to Uh, increase their ritual activity and their sacrifices and their church activities, he calls people simply and without fail to follow him. And so what that means is what we need to do as we take this approach to following him is we need to figure out what that means and also what that doesn't mean. Because what it doesn't mean is just as important as what it means. A.W. Tozer says this, uh, we must simplify our approach to him. We must strip down to essentials. We must put away all effort to impress and come with the guileless candor of childhood. What is our identity? Children of a father. If we do this, Without doubt, God will quickly respond. If we want to be a church that sees a response in our community, inside and outside these walls, we have to make this our pursuit. And Jesus' call to to follow is, in in its essence, it is simple. It's, It's not complicated. But to do so, to follow that, to respond to that call, is going to require everything that you have, everything that you do, everything that you are. It is a lifelong, singular pursuit. So what we're going to do is, and what we have been doing, is we're, we're taking this this time, the, next, the rest of this month and then the, the, the rest of next month as well, to break down and explore this idea of following. So far, we've walked through the first two steps. The first step, we believe. The first step is we believe, right? We believe by taking God at his word, That ultimately, he is exactly who he says he is. 
And that's it. And what we do in, when we understand that, when we take God at his word in there, we're also seeking to discern where those other voices are coming that are saying something different. That maybe God is not who he says he is. Maybe God does not care. Maybe you should look out for yourself instead. Where are those voices? Still learning to just separate between those two. If God is who he says he is, we should believe that. Second, we repent. We repent by turning from our sin, turning our back to sin, and turning our faces toward God. We grieve sin, and we grieve its effects, and we recognize that without God, without the sacrifice of his son, we have no answer for our sin. You will have no answer for the sin problem that exists in your life when all you're facing is your sin. You must turn from your sin. You must grieve your sin. And you turn toward a loving and gracious father who has an answer for you. When we grieve sin and we turn toward God, God will be with us. He will work in us. He will challenge us. He will transform us. And he will show us the way to restoration and to life with him. Now today, Jesus shows us the way. We're on step three, and you might call this like the title track of the series because step three is to follow. Now we're doing a series called follow with different steps on how to follow, and step three is follow. That might seem a little confusing to you. I understand this. But I, I need you to just think about it this way in the process. Before you can even begin to follow, our hearts need to be prepared to follow. So before you can even think about following Jesus, belief and repentance need to happen. Your heart needs to be changed and transformed and prepared for this moment. Do you begin to... Uh, I, I heard... Um, Cindy, Cindy McAndrews, she's, uh, you're preparing for a uh, half marathon, right? Can you just walk out and just start running a half marathon? Your lungs will not cooperate with you. It, it will not happen. To run a race, you have to prepare to run a race. You have to build up the endurance to run a race. You have to prepare your body to run that race. God is preparing your heart to run the race of following him with belief and repentance. So you have to believe and you have to repent. And then once you begin this journey of following, which we're going to talk about today, we're going to encounter other steps. As we follow, we're going to have to remain in following him. We're going to be encouraged to share as we follow. We're going to seek to multiply as we follow. So there are two steps preceding the main step, and there are three steps that follow the main step. But today we're talking about the main step, the title track, the main concept, which is simply to follow. Not just in word, not just in deed, but in all of our lives. So this morning, we're going to camp out near the end of the Gospel of John. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and uh, get them over to John chapter 21. That's where we're going to be today. So backstory, just sort of preparing us for what we're about to read. Uh, Jesus, is, uh, Jesus has, has, has gone through his ministry— and yet, uh, and he's gained followers, and people are, are coming behind him, and they're, they're going through. And yet, Jesus hits this point where he is captured, he is convicted and condemned, and he is crucified. Wrongfully, but willingly at the same time. Jesus walks a path 
willingly that leads to his death. His disciples and his followers have now deserted him. And even Peter, Peter, who is Jesus' most outspoken, bold, vocal friend, Peter, the one who says, Jesus, why can't I follow you where you are going? I will lay down my life for you. Peter ends up denying that he even knows Jesus. When the fear of death comes, he denies him three different times. Jesus is abandoned by everyone, and he dies a lonely death. And yet, three days later, they come to the tomb and it's empty. It's empty. And then Jesus shows up and he's alive and he's just walking around and he's eating food and he's showing up in people's houses, uh, like appearing in people's houses and freaking them out. And he's just like revealing himself to his friends like, I'm not dead anymore. I was dead, now I'm not dead. Um, uh, it's it's a, kind of a crazy, amazing story when you think about it. And Jesus, he reveals himself to uh, this woman named Mary, and then he reveals himself to uh, a disciple named Thomas, and to John, and, and even to Peter. This same Peter who declared that he would follow Jesus to the ends of the earth. He would lay down his life for Jesus. He said he would die for him, and yet denied him when fear took over. Jesus shows up to him, too. And it's at this point in the story that we're arriving at John chapter 21. So if you have your Bibles, it's going to be up on the screen as well, but we're going to start in verse 15. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told him. A second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. He asked him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to indicate by what death, what kind of death, Peter would glorify God. After saying this, he told him, follow me. Jesus and Peter, they're having this conversation. And Jesus is teaching Peter what it means to follow. Peter has said before, remember, he said, I'll follow you to the end. I will lay down my life for you. But it means something different to Peter. You can kind of tell it means something different to Peter. For Peter, laying his life down, following for Peter, means glorious battle, right? It means dying for a great cause. It means fighting for national liberation. It means ruling and reigning with Jesus in like a restored kingdom of Israel. For Peter, the end is glory. For Peter, following means fame and vindication. And it's a calculated risk for this shot at glory and honor. But Peter follows only up until the time that it serves Peter. Do you see that? Peter follows only up until the point that it actually serves him. When Jesus is arrested and accused and condemned, 
Peter cuts his losses. He counts the cost. He says, it's all right, I'll take what I've got. And he abandons Jesus. He follows only up to the time that it serves him. So when we talk about following, we have to ask two questions. The first one, what are you willing to lose? What are you willing to do without? What are you willing to sell? What are you willing to give up, to lay aside, to follow? But the second question is, for what? For what are you willing to give up those things? For what are you willing to lay aside, to follow? The very act of following necessitates not just a what you are following, but why you are following. We have to ask that question before we can make that statement. Jesus starts with the why. Jesus starts with Peter's heart here. And he asks Peter three different questions. One, do you love me? Two, do you love me? Three, Do you love me? Three times he asks the same exact question. And I found it was really interesting that that Jesus only asks this particular question, do you love me? This is the only time he actually asks anybody in the entire Bible, the only time he ever asks somebody point blank, do you love me? The only time. And it struck me that he would wait until right up until this moment to ask it. Jesus, I mean, he teaches about love. He reveals the love of God the Father. People are following him. They, they see this. They recognize his love. They recognize Jesus teaches about the need for love, the desire for love, the hope that we would love as he has loved and as God has loved. But this time... He's asking it, point blank, directly. Do you love me? When Jesus asks Peter that question, and when, when we see that, we should be asking ourselves that same question. Jesus is asking it to us. I would ask that you would hear that and you would hold it as central to your entire life. Do you love Jesus? The requirement for following is not how many people take you seriously. The requirement for following is not how much are you going to accomplish. The requirement for following is your love for God. And when I say this, when Jesus is asking this question, he means this. Do you know the heart of God? A heart that forgives, cares, extends, heals, and hurts for you. Is your affection for God a hope for reward or for merit? Do you love the idea of God? Or do you love God? Is it the hope of a reward that inspires an affection? Or is affection driven by the love of God that invades every square inch of your soul? That strikes and eradicates fear and despair and isolation that threatens to turn your face away from him? Do you love Jesus or do you only love the idea of Jesus? Jesus is not looking for a calculated risk from you. He's not looking for a calculated risk. He's looking for a heart that burns for him as his heart burns for you. And that motivates us, inspires us, compels us to risk it all. Jesus drills this into Peter's heart. 
the reason why Peter turns and abandons Jesus and denies him is because he thought he knew Jesus, his intentions and his mission, but he was wrong. Peter thought that the way of Jesus, the path that he was following, the direction and the, 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 the goal, the destination was this one way, and yet Jesus' heart reveals something different. To love Jesus is to know the heart of Jesus. And to know the heart of Jesus is to know the way of Jesus. And to know the way of Jesus is the first step forward in following him wherever he leads. To follow is to love. To follow is to love. But next, to follow is also to serve. To follow is to serve. Jesus asks Peter three times, do you love me? And three times Peter says, you know that I love you. After each reassurance, Jesus reveals what that means. If you love me, if you are going to follow me, if your heart reflects my heart, then this is the way to follow. Feed my lambs. Shepherd my sheep. Feed my sheep. To follow Jesus is to love him, and to follow Jesus is also to serve. Now, earlier in the Gospel of John, Jesus is teaching, and, and he's, he's talking about uh, how he is the good shepherd. Ego me, I am the good shepherd. And I can only guess that Jesus is teaching in John chapter 10, when Jesus says, feed my lambs, shepherd my sheep, feed my sheep, this has got to be turning around, this teaching has got to be just turning over and over again in Peter's heart when Jesus is giving these commands. John chapter 10, uh, verse 7 says this, Jesus says again, truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so they may have life and have it in abundance. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd, Jesus says, lays down his life for the sheep. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he is a hired hand and he doesn't care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. Now I've said this the last couple of weeks and I'll say it again here because it is so important to our understanding of what brings us to follow, compels us to follow and what holds us back from following. Fear is the antithesis of falling, following. Fear is that primary barrier that restricts us from following. Fear stops us in our tracks. Fear pre prevents us from living out our humanity in the fullest sense that God has intended for us. Fear prevents us from living out our identity as children of God. And once again, I believe wholeheartedly that this fear, fear of our loss of control, fear that things aren't going to go our way, fear of not being satisfied, fear of not being fulfilled, fear of death. This is the reason why the act of following Jesus as the way and following the ways of Jesus start with the heart. I wish I could tell you, here is a 12-step plan for following Jesus. That just is you doing things, and then by the end of it, you're like, I'm done. Cross it off. I have now followed him. 
Let's move on to something else. That is not how it works. I wish it was. It would be simple. It would be nice. It would be convenient. But I cannot move us forward and encourage you to follow Jesus if your love is not there. We have to begin with our love and our heart and our compassion for Jesus. Why? Because John says there is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear. We have to love so that we do not need to fear. The writer John, he goes on to say that with this in mind, the person who loves God must also love his brother and sister. Feed my lamb. Shepherd my sheep. Feed my sheep. Even as Peter looks at this and he's, he's realizing, Jesus is calling me to be a shepherd. I am acting like a hired hand. I saw a wolf and I ran. Jesus says, feed my sheep. Shepherd my sheep. What does a shepherd do? He lays down his life for the sheep. Peter says, I will lay down my life for you, Jesus. Jesus says, lay down your life for my sheep. To follow Jesus is to be a shepherd. To feed and to serve and protect your brothers and your sisters. It is inherent in the call to follow. Serving others. This is important. Serving others. Being a minister. A shepherd under the chief shepherd. This is not a professional calling. This is not reserved solely for vocational pastors and elders. It is communal and it is mutual. When Jesus calls for Peter to feed and care for people, he's not asking for Peter to enter into some professional client relationship sort of thing. He's asking for vulnerability. For limited incapacity, brothers and sisters, to know and be known, to care and be cared for, to forgive and to be forgiven, to love and to be loved. To shepherd is not to exert power over another human being. That is not our call. Leadership is not the exertation of power over another person. To control and mold them and conform them to your will. To shepherd somebody is to lay down your life for another. To release control. Even as they lay down their own lives for you. It's mutual. It's a community. Know this as well. Jesus is calling you to be a shepherd. He is not calling you to be the chief shepherd. There's a big distinction in Jesus is not asking for you to be the perfect sacrifice. He is not asking for you to be the healer of hearts and minds and bodies. He is not asking you for, to, for you to be the reconciler of all mankind. He is not asking for you to be the giver of life. To lay down your life simply means this, that we point to that person, that we point to the sacrifice, a lamb, that we point to the giver of life, that we point to the healer. And that means that for us, when we lay down our lives, all we're doing is we're saying in our own limited human capacity, our incomplete, vulnerable selves with all of our faults, we simply serve as a gateway to the unlimited, complete, unconditional love of God. 
our, our faults and our failures and our inconsistencies and our incompleteness, all it does is it points to our dependency in a complete, all-powerful God who loves us the way we could never love somebody else. To follow him means that we are available to his purposes, to his people, in the good and in the bad. Life is not always about everything going exactly the way we want it to go. Following Jesus is not sunshine and rainbows all of the time. Let us not shy away from those things when rain comes. It is part of our humanity that we are that way, that we suffer, that we struggle, that we doubt. It is within us. Where we're able to best shepherd and encourage is when in the midst of our doubt, in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our brokenness, we find a healer in God. We find our answers in God. We find our trust and our hope and our security and our foundation in God. And that's the only thing we have. We point to Jesus. To follow him means we are available. And it means we expose our weaknesses so that others' weaknesses can be welcomed. If you portray following God as something only made for the strong and the capable and the powerful and the able, those who are weak, those who are frail, those who are incapable, will see it as an impossible task. You cannot shepherd those who are weak if you are not willing to be weak yourself. If you are not ready, willing to recognize your own weaknesses, expose them, be okay with them, and allow God to be your strength. We need to welcome weakness in our church. We need to welcome it. Weakness is okay. God's strength is what holds us and sustains us. To follow Jesus is to love him and to know his heart and to serve his people. And finally, to follow is to go. To follow is to go. Jesus, he makes this now profound statement to Peter. He says, first, do you love me? Then he says, feed my sheep. Then he says this, when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He says, first, when you, were, when you were young, you tied on your own bootstraps and you made your own way and you went wherever you pleased. It was your choice to follow. When, G, when, when Peter says, I'll go anywhere you lead, I'll follow you to the ends of the earth, I will lay down my life for you. Jesus says, that's easy, you're tying your own straps. There will be a day that comes when somebody else ties your hands and takes you where you don't want to go. It's easy to say, I'll follow you to the ends of the earth. It's easy to say, I'll lay down my life for you. It's hard to do. What if Jesus leads you to a place you don't want to go? Have you ever thought about that? What if Jesus is leading you to a place that you don't want to go? Will you still follow? When we talk about life in Christ, a life in Christ, we're talking about a whole completely different way of living. Following Jesus is going to challenge all of our natural instincts. And within us, you'll find, each one of us, we're going to have these different excuses or reasons why Jesus' difficult and often sudden challenges to our comfortable ways of life, to our individualistic plans and purposes, 
need to be put off or delayed. And these excuses are a tell for us that say, we might think we're followers, but we really only follow what's convenient or consistent with our own desires and dreams. Luke chapter 14, verse 18, but without exception, they all began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. I ask you to excuse me. Verse 19, another said, I have brought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out. I ask you to excuse me. Another said, I just got married and therefore I'm unable to come. Matthew chapter 19, if you want to be perfect, Jesus said to him, the rich young ruler, go sell your belongings and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard that, he went away grieving because he had many possessions. John chapter 6, when many of the disciples heard what Jesus was saying, they said, this teaching is hard. Who can accept it? From that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. John chapter 10, the Jews turn to Jesus and they say, we're not stoning you for a good work, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Luke chapter 9, as they were traveling on the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus told them, foxes have dens, and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Then he said to another, follow me. Lord, he said, first let me go bury my father. But he told them, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. And another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. But Jesus said to them, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. <clears throat> now my guess is, if we are truly honest with ourselves, one of those excuses will resonate specifically and deafeningly with you. Prior commitments, family, wealth, investments, safety, a roof over your head, a warm meal, work, education, religion. There is no shortage of reasons that we can use to justify our delay to follow him with our entire heart. Jesus may lead us where we do not want to go. Are we ready for that? Are we ready for that direction, that journey? To follow Jesus is to love him and to serve his people and to go wherever he leads. Jesus is asking you to consider the cost. And then he asks you to count that cost as loss for the sake of him. Henry Nouwen was a, uh, he was this, or Henri Nouwen was a, uh, an ordained Catholic priest and he was working as a, a harvest professor and he received this call from God to leave academics and to go serve in this impoverished French community that was made up mostly of people with like severe developmental disabilities. And, and he wrote later uh, in, in one of his books that in going to this place uh, and serving here, going from like high academia well-respected life to middle of nowhere, like serving in complete anonymity, hardship. It meant that he had to ultimately give up three things. Relevancy, popularity, and power. See, for now, relevancy meant that he was independent and self-sufficient in life. He says the self See, the self that can do things, show things, prove things, build things, that's relevancy. I'm relevant still in this life. I'm still needed. God asks him to be vulnerable and needy 
and reliant on prayer and to ultimately be completely irrelevant and not needed. To stand in the world with nothing to offer but himself. For now, unpopularity meant being an individual, unique, being known and appreciated and respected. God asked him to be anonymous, to work among a community, to mutually serve and be served, to come in the name of Jesus, not in the name of Henri. And then for now, and power meant self-confidence and control and safety. I will exert my influence over people. God called them to weakness, to unpredictability, and to pain. On a downward trajectory, not an upward trajectory where love and intimacy could thrive instead and where God could work most powerfully through him. Are you willing to go where your skill set is not well suited? Are you willing to go where your reputation means absolutely nothing? Are you willing to go where poverty and uncertainty are more the norm than the exception? Now one finishes account by saying this. Worldly maturity says, when you were young, you were dependent and could not go where you wanted. But when you grow old, you'll be able to make your own decisions, go your own way, control your own destiny. But Jesus has a different vision of maturity. It is the ability and willingness to be led where you would rather not go. As a church, our heart is to follow Jesus. And in some areas, we should be prepared for the possibility distinctly that he may lead us a place where we are not, where we are uncomfortable. We are not prepared. We are not totally on board with going. But he's leading, and then we follow. And why do I say that? That is, that is kind of important to our, 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 our hope as a church, because Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. Not me, not elders. Jesus is the head of the church. So that means that the way of the church, the direction of the church, the path of the church, the goals of the church, the aim of the church should be, if Jesus is the head, it should be the way of Jesus. Are we willing to follow Jesus anywhere he leads? cost of following Jesus is real. Now, just like Peter, just like Peter, I will, be, I, I, will, I will be the first one to admit, it's easy to say, I will follow you. It's hard to do. It is easy to say, it is hard to do. It is easy for us to say, Lord, I will follow you to the ends of the earth. I will serve you. I will lay down my life for you. I'll lay down my life for my friends. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be an adventure. It's going to be really cool. We're going to do amazing things. It's going to be great. But will I? Really? Will I really follow Jesus? I can say it, but they're just words. Will I actually follow Jesus? Or is it just empty speech? I think sometimes we just don't know what we're saying when we make a grand statement like this. How grand, how, how encompassing it is to say, I will follow Jesus. Jesus says, if anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself Take up his cross daily and follow me. 
For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will save it. I don't think Jesus is talking about some figurative cross. I don't think he's speaking metaphorically necessarily here. If we just move it to a metaphor, a figurative idea that we will take up a cross, we will be able to take anything as a burden. When Jesus speaks of a cross, he is speaking of the most cursed, heinous, excruciating death that was available to his time. Are we willing to take up our cross daily and follow him? What this means is that we choose daily, moment by moment. This is how we follow Jesus. Moment by moment, day by day, we make an active choice to follow the path of Jesus or else we'll follow something else. And when following the path of Jesus, that means heading towards the same path that Jesus walked as he laid down his life for another. We move towards the cross. Do you, do you get where, this, where I'm going with this? If you assume that making a one-time declaration to follow Jesus is all that it takes to walk wherever he leads, I don't think you know what you're saying. I don't think you know what you're saying if you think one time I can say, I'll follow him wherever he leads, and then after that, maybe I will, maybe I won't. You can stand up and make a big romantic gesture to proclaim your commitment to him, but will you walk in it day by day, moment by moment? Following after Jesus means practicing the ways of Jesus. So that means that in the smallest, most insignificant moments of tomorrow, you choose following him over following something else. In the smallest things, the smallest things, you choose, will I follow Jesus here or will I follow something else? And then in the next moment, the next opportunity, you choose him again. And then at the next opportunity, you choose him again. And then at the next opportunity, you choose him again. One opportunity at a time, moment by moment, daily, we choose to follow Jesus to the ends of the earth. The more you trust him, the more you surrender. The more that you believe that in him you'll find life, the more you'll surrender. Where do you find your life? Do you find it in you? Do you find it in him? If it's in him, that means that your five-year plan is his. Your hobbies are his. Your dreams for your children are his. Every dollar that you make is his. And what breaks his heart begins to break yours. And what he came to do you desire to finish. The cost of following Jesus is real. It costs us things that we love, but we surrender them because we desire God more. Following Jesus will cost us time that we never intended to give. It will cause us to serve people we initially didn't even care to know. We will be forced to make difficult decisions, but the more we follow, the more we come to desire the very things that we once thought was a sacrifice. 
It is only in our absolute surrender that we will find the life that Jesus speaks of. Now, before we go further, let me just say, absolute surrender does not mean perfect surrender. Absolute surrender does not mean perfect surrender. I think Jesus, uh, that Peter, I think Peter fully intended to follow Jesus to the point of death, but he failed. I think that was his original intent and plan, was to follow Jesus, to lay down his life, but he failed at it the first time. Following Jesus absolutely is not the same as following him perfectly. Why? Because if you follow him perfectly, you don't need him. If you follow Jesus perfectly, you don't need Jesus. There's a difference there. Jesus will settle for nothing less than absolute surrender of your life. But he also knows that we will fall short of perfect surrender. And when we do, we believe, we repent, we turn, and we surrender again. This is the way to Jesus. It's the way that he wants us to follow. It's not, it, it may not always sound easy. It may not always sound fun. Again, two weeks in a row, not exactly sunshine and rainbows, but... The way of Jesus is a way that ends in joy and peace that is not of this world. Jesus is the way of life. Will you follow him? Let's pray.